Good afternoon. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus uh, due to the IAQ and Energy Conference that we uh, co-hosted with the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council back several weeks ago. And, uh, you know, the election fever and all these great things. So this is actually the uh, final show of our season uh, four. Uh, we'll be taking a break after uh, this episode and uh, through the holidays. And we'll be back again in January with season five. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're going out with a great show. So without further ado, um, I would like to uh, introduce... Our guest for today is Dr. Delphine Farmer. She's an associate professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, um, Colorado she, State University. Colorado State University. Why did Collins. I say? I, I, yeah. You gave why me did my I do absolute it? rival. I just I, did, didn't I? Yeah, why did I? Did. Why did that come out of my head? I, I have it right know. in the graphic for what it's worth. Why did I say Boulder? Anyway, thanks. Thanks for jumping in and correcting the fact that I'm an idiot. See, it actually says it. Associate professor, Colorado State University. Um, okay. Um, I don't have my teleprompter, and I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that again. That's been my excuse several times. Anyway, Delphine, uh, we had the opportunity to. Uh, she was on our on our, our, one of our first live broadcasts with the Healthy Indoor Show uh, back in March uh, when this pandemic hit. We started um, broadcasting live and doing uh, live sessions as opposed to just recorded sessions. So uh, she was on on that first uh, marathon that we did, like the four hour show. And uh, and also we had the opportunity to work together several weeks back at the IAQ and Energy Conference. So this is great. Uh, so this is just going to be a continuation of that and uh, me bubbling through uh, introductions. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to correct you, Bob. Always I, I, thanks. happy. Well, no problem. Somebody needs to because otherwise, you know, it's like I'll be fake news. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to go all over everything today. So anyway, um, Delphine, uh, for those of you who don't know, she uh, has been a researcher for many years, but she's been involved um, with a lot of great things. Um, but more recently, um, two years ago, the uh, Home Chem Project, uh, at, it was at the University of uh, Texas in Austin. Yes. Um, it was, and I had the opportunity to visit down there. Uh, that's when we first met. Um, so tell us about what Home Chem was and what, you know, what, what, why we should be concerned about it. Absolutely. So Home Chem, uh, well, the name says it all, but we have an acronym. It's House Observations of Microbial and Environmental Chemistry. So what we wanted to do was actually understand what the chemistry in the, is ha that's happening inside a, an everyday home and what happens when you do everyday activities. And it's kind of mind-blowing to me how little we understand about somewhere that we spend so much of our time in, uh, especially now with COVID, we're all spending vast amounts of time at home. Uh, but even, even before that, uh, we know we spend 90% of our time indoors. And yet, most of the research that we do in terms of understanding air quality, air pollution, uh, and, and just uh, how that impacts human health is spent on outdoor air. And that's really important. And one thing we learned from home chem is just how much outdoor air impacts indoor air. It's a lot, but uh, the indoor environment's really different. And so what we wanted to do with home chem was to, was to actually investigate that chemistry. So we brought in uh, researchers from about 12, 15 different 
institutions around the US and Canada, brought them all to Austin, Texas. We had uh, many amazing graduate students and postdocs and researchers all, co all converge on this tiny little test house. And then we would do everyday activities, mopping, cooking, uh, cleaning the house, just sitting there working on a laptop. Uh, and, and then we had all these different instruments from all these different research labs, uh, and they would just all measure different aspects of the air inside. So all the different molecules that we're breathing, all the different particles that we, that we make and that we breathe. And so we could get a bit of a pretty full picture as to what, what happens indoors and what that, that means to health. You know, what's, what's interesting, too, is it was this uh, this little ranch house. Uh, I remember arriving at it, and first of all, it was hot as anything. I was, it was in June, when I, June 2018. I remember it was like, uh, it, it was approaching 100 degrees. I know it was. I, oh, I got off the plane, got yeah. there, and I was like, oh, you know, my Syracuse boy was toasted as soon as he got there. And, um, you know, I saw this little house. I'm like, this is it. And it seemed like there were more peripheral buildings and sheds with equipment than the, the actual footprint of the house. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the running joke. It was it's a pretty I mean, it was kind of the cheapest house that Rich Corsi could buy. I, I mean, it was but it's actually really important because that it represents a pretty large fraction of our housing stock. Right. Cheap linoleum floors, cheap, basic paint, you know, nothing fancy in the kitchen. Um, it was just your basic home. And it just didn't have, I mean, we didn't want to put our instruments inside the house for the most part, because a lot of them produce a huge amount of heat and they're, I mean, they're really noisy, but they also um, produce a lot of chemicals. And so we didn't want our instruments to change the house itself. We didn't want to change the energy balance. We didn't want to change the air quality. So what we did was brought in a whole pile of portable trailers uh, all, and, and put them all around the back of the house. And then we took uh, inlet like tubing, whether it was copper pipes or um, Teflon tubing, depending on what we were trying to measure, we would send that from in those those trailers out out of the house. We would send those straight into the house, and then we would be able to measure what was going on inside, uh, but, and in different rooms and and different places. But what was what was crazy to me, and, and I've been an IQ consultant for you know thirty plus years, and I'm used to going around with portable field equipment, handheld equipment. And uh, this was like, to me, was uh, for me, for IAQ field work on steroids. I've never seen anything like this. And I walked in, there was like, oh my goodness. I mean, this is like, I'm used to my little, uh, you know, $5,000 laser particle counter, you know? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we, we had, uh, like, it was... Um... It was really the the top uh, instruments from the outdoor atmospheric chemistry community that we were able to bring in. So this is a this is a research community that's been thinking about air quality and climate and everything from ozone up in the stratosphere and the ozone hole down to urban smog. Uh, and and these instruments that we've been developing for the outdoor air community uh, over decades have been, you know, are just absolutely top of the line research grade equipment um, from from chemistry labs all around the all around the country. And so being able to bring them all and actually take them to the indoor environment where uh, we were, you know, we're about two orders of magnitude more, uh, more expensive equipment than is normally brought into the indoor air. And, yeah, and, that was and that's, just a, a, that's a point to make here. This is, this is a unique, unique study in that you actually uh, took it to a level that's not normally done for IEQ research. Exactly, exactly. And it's not to say that every every IAQ study should suddenly have these half million dollar mass spectrometers, but um, what it allows us to do is actually understand 
what what we're seeing and that can tell us a lot more information about sort of the fundamental processes inside a house and then we can use that to think about well what does the $500 the $5,000 sensor what does that mean and what does that tell us so uh, it was a really fun experiment I mean it was really I mean uh, no research study no scientist had done this before anything even like it so that that was really fun you gleaned a lot of uh, valuable information there. We're, we're going to talk a little bit uh, later uh, about you know some of the comparisons to maybe uh, consumer grade analytic equipment that may be on the market versus obviously versus stuff that us as field professionals use, which, you know, you're going from the, the hundreds of dollars to the thousands of dollars to the, uh, you know, approaching millions of dollars uh, pieces yeah. of hardware, you know, and, and, and the, the differences that, that might, you know, the different pictures that those things might tell you, and maybe the, uh, the replicatability <laughs> Right. Uh, with some of the lesser right. price stuff, but that, I, I, we'll get into that in a bit. But um, what what I just for the audience, what uh, really prompted me, uh, you know, to try to get this show scheduled uh, on this week is uh, you did a test dinner. You, you, you simulated as part of your research, a Thanksgiving dinner, which I think Absolutely. ironically, we're coming up on Thanksgiving week. So, yes. and, and you had mentioned this back at the IAQ and Energy Conference last month is, boy, that would be interesting. It's like, well, here we are. What, aside from the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and I'm, I'm not trying to make light of that, you know, and that really you probably shouldn't be having a big Thanksgiving dinner and exposing your grandma, your grandma and everybody to COVID. I think that's really irresponsible, but that's for you to make your choice, I guess. But, but aside from the, the possible exposure to, you know, this, uh, viral agent <laughs> there's other <laughs> things that happen at thanksgiving dinner that you should be aware of yeah yeah so there's a total silver lining to people paring down their thanksgiving meal and that that's it's that you're not going to be doing as much damage to your indoor air quality um and so so you know we'll, we'll take what we can uh in 2020 and i think that is that is at least one small silver lining um but, but Thanksgiving was a totally fascinating experiment as a scientist and a totally delicious experiment as an individual. But uh, what, we, what we did was we made the full um, Thanksgiving for 15 people, uh, large turkey, uh, the whole whole nine yards on all the different sides. Uh, and the, you know, we used the oven, we used the stovetop. Uh, we, it, it, was, uh, it was quite an impressive, quite an impressive array of food, all the pies, all the, um, the, the mashed potatoes, the sweet potatoes, the roasted Brussels sprouts, you name it, it was there. And, and that, was, uh, that was amazing. As a, as a chemist, we saw levels of compounds in the air that we had never seen before. And, you know, I, we've flown our instruments through wildfire plumes. And so, you know, okay, so there, is more, there are more particles in the smoke when you pass through a massive wildfire plume. But once you start looking at the, the, the levels that we had in Thanksgiving in the indoor air, it was just, it was an incredible experiment. I mean, it was for hours, we would see really elevated levels of particles, uh, which we know are dangerous to human health. Uh, but we would also see just this huge array of organic molecules. And those are, I mean, you know that intuitively because that's what smells so good when you cook that all that roasting food, those are that, that roasting process, that's all chemical reaction. That, that you're doing right there. It's a whole pile of organic chemistry and then it all goes into the air and you smell it. Um, so there's just this huge amount of stuff that you're breathing in. 
I, you know, I guess the, my question is, uh, you know, is that necessarily bad? Uh, and I'm a vegetarian, so I got to say, I, I like the smell of the roasting turkey, but I will not eat the roasting turkey. Uh, but, I, you know, I, and I, so I'm totally guilty here. So I am the guy in the kitchen cooking Thanksgiving dinner, um, you know, usually making somebody else carve the turkey, but, you know, making all the other side dishes, you know, gazillion vegetables to make me happy. And, and uh, you're you're making me uh, concerned that maybe, uh, you know, all these great odors I'm smelling uh, have a negative Effect. Yeah, so so it's an interesting question. Um, it's it's curious. We don't really know all like there there's just so many different molecules out there. We and so many different gases. Uh, we don't know uh, whether a lot of them are bad for you. Those just have there are a lot that haven't been studied. And uh, my inclination is that the vast majority of them are not dangerous to your health. And I mean, one example is if you cut open a lemon for a squeeze of lemon on 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 a dish. Um, you smell that lemon scent, but what you are releasing is just this huge amount of a molecule called limonene. It's a monoterpene uh, for any chemistry nerds out there, 10 carbons and 16 hydrogens all arranged. Uh, it's a beautiful molecule from a, for a chemist, but it's, uh, it's, it doesn't really do anything in terms of human health until it's at extraordinarily high levels and ones that you're not going to achieve in your kitchen for very long. So the, the those sorts of VOCs, I'm never really going to be concerned about. They're, they're there, you breathe them in, and that's fine. Um, but there are other ones that I certainly do have concerns about. And, and I will say, I think some of them actually do come from roasting the turkey itself. So you have a lot of protein in that turkey, and that protein breaks down as you cook. And then we get this release of, of these organic nitrogen compounds. And some of them uh, are these compounds we call isocyanates. And so we see some of those compounds. Um, does that mean that people should stop cooking turkeys? Not necessarily. Uh, it is a short-term short burst for a few hours uh, of being exposed to some pretty high levels of, of compounds. But we don't really, um, you know, we don't know a lot about what a short-term exposure, uh, even at those very high levels, is going to do. But I will, I, I certainly have taken the lesson of ventilate ventilate and, and then ventilate some more because we don't know a lot about some of these molecules, but that doesn't mean that some of them aren't bad for you. Some of them certainly are. So, so I think the best thing that you can do is try and reduce your exposure. Well, it, which, which raises another question. I mean, I think the typical home design, at least in the United States, does not really um, provide a lot of outside makeup air. You know, we really, we really don't, you know, it's like, and yeah. even if you, you know, and then there's this, like this false sense of, uh, uh, ventilation by people that have the recirculating hoods, which oh. I, I have family members that have that and go, well, turn the fan. And I go, you realize that's stupid, right? It just blows it in your face. What well, goes through a filter? I go, it's going through a metal grid. It's like, don't even waste your energy filter. running the stupid thing. Yeah. But, you know, I, I always tell people that, you know, I have these really fancy, expensive mass spectrometers. You have a really cheap one and it's called your nose, right? right. You, you know when you know when you have a lot of emissions. And so I guess one of the lessons I took away from our Thanksgiving experiment is that uh, not all of those emissions are benign. Most of them are going to be just fine for you. But a few of them are molecules we know are dangerous. And so at that point, Use it, trust your sense of smell. If you can smell it, then it's, it's probably there at a level that you should be thinking about ventilating. And so what would you do if you burned a piece of toast? You would probably crack open a window 
and maybe another window and think about a cross breeze and maybe you turn on the fan in your bathroom and open that door so you have a cross breeze those are all good things that you can do and so i I, I would I would trust my trust my sense of smell. Well, I know like Lawrence Berkeley Labs, you know, released that study years back. It was about six, seven years now, um, you know, with the kitchen cooking and the, uh, and, and they did follow up stuff on the uh, capture efficiency of ve ventilation hoods that actually don't recirculate recir and yeah. actually go outside. And I was amazed at how ineffective many of the consumer ventilation hoods really are capturing I, what's coming off of the, uh, the range area, especially with uh, gas appliances. Yeah, I, I you know, initially I was shocked, but then I moved into a new house and we have uh, we have a gas stove and it's got supposedly a pretty good hood. But if I turn on the when I turn on the gas stove, you can you can smell like just for a moment, right? You can smell that gas or you can smell what you're cooking. Um, and so you know, my husband's sitting in the living room and he's like, "Ooh, dinner smells really good." And I'm like, "Yeah, I've had my hood on the whole time. You can still smell that. This is not very efficient, right?" And so you know that, and yeah. it's but it's it, it was still a little mind blowing to me that we could put all this effort into ventilation in the kitchen, and those hoods just don't. Most of them just don't work that well. Or, or they capture so. the rear burners, not the front burners. You know, and yeah, uh, yeah because I I was under this false pre you know false impression right i have uh, an old gen air in my kitchen which is a downdraft and it's it's a massive fan it's like oh. a 500 cfm fan it's it's so loud i hate the sound of it but it's like and you know i see steam coming out of the spaghetti pot going down I'm like yeah this is great and it's and in fact it's not that great yeah yes yeah i mean it's just nothing I, I mean i think what i think what we forget is just the massive amount of stuff that is coming out when we cook. And I think that's one of the things we saw in home cam was just this volume. I mean, it's like having a small bonfire in your kitchen every single time you cook. And, you know, I don't care how good your your hood is over your over your kitchen. Most of them just aren't going to capture that little miniature bonfire you have going on. And yeah, you're not in the lab hood. I mean, you're really yeah. not in the contained and, you know, you, have, you still have a hood over the top where there's the ability for yeah. things to plume out. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, so there's you um I forget now at home camp did you have both electric ranges and gas ranges or we did we did okay. we had like the main stove with the gas stove but we also had an electric uh cooktop so that we could do a comparison um and you know what we found not I mean there you get less less stuff coming out of an electric uh, electric range so you don't have the nitrogen oxides and you don't have as many of the part, like the small ultrafine particles, but you know, past that, most of the particles and most of the pollution that the, that you're introducing into the indoor environment is because you're cooking. It's when you put that oil in the pan, and then you just get this huge emission of oil, oil-containing particles, and then you add something to that pan, and then the chemistry starts to run. So you get these chemical reactions, mm -hmm. and I. I mean, I keep on joking that it's like a bonfire inside your, in your kitchen. The thing that's amazing is from a chemistry perspective, a good chunk of what's coming out is exactly the same as what you get from a wildfire or a bonfire. It's, it's what we chemists call biomass burning aerosol. And it is, it looks just like that. So when, you have when I was growing oil. up, it was like when my mom was cooking. It really was that way anyway. It was kind of a bonfire in the kitchen. Whenever <laughs> bonfire in the kitchen. kitchen. I know. Hence Sometimes I learned how I to cook at an early age. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, my mother tended to more boil stuff. So I learned to cook at an early age, but for <laughs> different reasons. Um, <laughs> yes. 
but we digress. Uh, yes. But th- that's interesting. So did you, so there wasn't an appreciable difference between uh, gas and electric, other than the fact you had the combustion byproducts with gas. Other, right? other than the combustion byproducts that one would expect from gas. Yeah, no, they looked, they actually chemically looked quite similar. So, so yeah, we expected the nitrogen oxides from the gas stove and you definitely get those. Um, and a little bit more of the carbon dioxide um, and, and some of those that, like the sooty particles. But aside from that, they looked, the majority of the emissions are driven from the food and from cooking itself. And so that is what we we saw as the same. So, we, so we've already like, cited that you know for this thanksgiving dinner your cooking practices will have an effect on it but also you know if and again you shouldn't really have big gatherings but you know when somebody comes with their axe body spray and uh you know and and the other things that are and and right you cleaned you cleaned the house before your guests came so you know what what did that cause (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's an interesting one i mean cleaning is amazing um I find it, I find the chemistry is just incredible. It's, it's, uh, it, and, and again, it kind of should make sense to you. If you, if you clean with something, something, we'll just leave it at natural products. In general, those products actually, they really don't do a lot of chemistry. And that's a really good thing. If you can, it's, you know, I always say you clean with the simplest thing you can. If it's a water, just water, great. If it's water and soap, fine. If it's some sort of natural product cleaner that, you hopefully you find one that works. Um, that's that's great. But when you start bringing in the harsh oxidizer, so anything like bleach or hydrogen peroxide, then the chemistry can run, and that's where you start having problems. And so you might have cleaned beforehand. That's okay. But if you clean right after you've cooked, it turns out those harsh oxidizing cleaners, so things like bleach and I think also stuff like hydrogen peroxide, that'll react with all the food debris that you've left on the floor unintentionally because, you know, you had all this beautiful smelling food and it came out of the pan and then it just, uh, then it just moved and traveled and uh, falls down on your floor. And then and that's interesting because you're talking around. small particle fallout on the floor, not Absolutely. so much chunks of turkey, like from a Christmas yeah. story. Okay. I mean, like yeah. both yeah. of them are happening if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah, right? Right, and right. so, but the whole combination of that, that food debris is going to react with those, those cleaners. And then you get a whole bunch of nasty things that you really don't want to breathe. Um, so that's, that's a big caution is when you clean up, what I've learned is that when you clean after you cook, clean with something first clean with something benign try to get the majority of the stuff off the floor and it's not stuff that you see necessarily it the floor can look pretty clean um but it's all just those little tiny particles things you don't really see they fall and accumulate on the floor you want to avoid those reacting with your with your bleach or your peroxide or any of the harsh chemicals but better yet just don't use them try to use the most benign chemicals you can and I will say, uh, you know, sp- speaking personally now, and this is something I have to attribute to my wife who, uh, uh, you know, IAQ people sometimes tend to do those stupidest things in their own world, right? You know, it's like, it's just like the plumber with the leaky faucet. And, you know, I, I never, you know, I would be out dealing with situations, dealing with indoor environmental issues and, you know, and doing, you know, taking a, a photo ionization detector, looking for TVOC and doing all that. In my own home, I never really considered some of the, you know, the household cleaners, you go to your, you know, your local grocery store or box store and you buy this stuff. And we cut all of that out about five, six years ago oh, um, to the to the extent 
that all we really clean with, and this was, you know, she kind of, she kind of came in, you know, with the iron fist on it and just threw everything out. And I was like, no, no, no. How are you going to, how are you going to keep it clean? So we really just use white vinegar um, or water or, you know, or maybe a little bit of essential oil if you want a little bit of a scent. Uh, but, you know, honestly, we haven't died, you know, and admittedly, you know, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not, not a lot of salmonella on my kitchen counter because we're not chopping up a bunch of chicken, but um, you, you can, I, I believe, right. You, you, you can yeah. use those, yeah. you clean pretty well. Cause a lot of the cleaners, I think we've been, have we been not been led down a really weird mindset, especially in the United States that we need all these products. Yeah. And I think we've also been led down a mindset. Um, and this is not based on any research, just my, my own viewpoint and experience yeah, yeah, is, that, it, is that we've, it's that we've been led down a path to believe that if something smells harsh, right, you smell the bleach, then you think it is clean. And that's just not true. What you're breathing is now a whole pile of toxic chemicals. And you probably would have been better off in most cases, um, not using that. Now, obviously there are some places that you need to use, you need to use something a lot harsher. And there are people with medical conditions where they need to use something harsher. And then, then there's a trade-off in risks and that's fine. But for the majority of people, we don't need to do that. And, and, but we've just been trained to think that we need to. And yeah, soap and water. Well, you mentioned simple. this in your presentation back, uh, you know, last month at the IQ and Energy. You know, what 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 is the smell of clean? Nothing. No, <laughs> clean. it shouldn't. I, it shouldn't exactly. have a fragrance. It shouldn't be some, you know, pine scent or floral or you know, right. That's yeah. not clean. Yeah. The best, the best way to smell clean is to not smell anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny. We did, we were involved with a uh, years back. Was involved with helping uh, design a greenhouse uh, back uh, in two thousand nine, and it was one of the first ones under the National Home Builders Green Building Program. Um, it, it was actually the sixth gold uh, standard house in the country, and it was the first in New York State. We tried to get their emerald, but we we missed it because we did some bad things outside on the, on the landscaping that just were unattainable. But what was interesting is it was at a parade of homes where there was multiple houses, you know, so nine builders okay. built houses. We were the only one that did this. And all the other houses had this wicked off gas, you know, as you walk into new construction, all from the adhesives and the flooring and the paints. And we used, you know, like zero VOC paints, which I know are not really zero VOC. I know you're a chemist, so you can, but they're lower than. They are know, lower <laughs> VOC. They're and I'm lower. All over that. Yeah. You know, and, and we used a lot of products where we were very conscious of what went in there as far as building materials and finishes and that sort of thing. Then we also had a built-in ERV, HRV system. So it was a lot of ventilation and air turnover. And people marveled that they walked in the house going, we don't smell anything in here. It's like, yeah, exactly. New yeah. construction and you don't smell adhesives and carpet and all this stuff because it's, it's not happening. Absolutely. And you know, those adhesives carry some pretty toxic molecules. Like acrolin is, is my, my new uh, nemesis in terms of, of, of a VOC that you really shouldn't be breathing. Um, and that's in all of these adhesives and they're just, they're dangerous. So yeah, I'm, I am a hundred percent supportive of these movements to much more to, I mean, it's better for the planet, but it's also better for you. And it does, you know, you really want to avoid things that smell like those, those chemical products. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and back, you know, just before we jump totally off the cleaner thing, um, yeah, using the least benign or the most benign, I should say, the most benign yep. product, right? I mean, it's water. <laughs> Let's Absolutely. face it. You know. And most of the time, that does an amazing job, it, right? It, I mean, it's like- It kind of does. Like, a wet paper towel or, you know, it actually cleans the surface quite well. 
Yeah, and then and then if you had something like you cut some, you know, you cut some raw chicken, well then yeah, you you need to use something else. But soapy water actually, you know, it, it degrades the outside of a lot of microbes. It does a really really good job of cleaning things. Um, and and so yeah, there are definitely going to be cases where you want to go with something a bit harsher. Mm. But uh, but but a lot of the time you don't need to. And so yeah, trying to well, COVID nineteen for that things. matter, COVID nineteen. Right. Yeah, uh, you the know, SARS-CoV-2 you know, it, virus falls apart when you when you put soap on it. It's, that's it's what kind I meant of to like say, an oil droplet. Thank you for correcting yeah. me again. I'm talking about the disease as opposed to the organism. Okay, I know this, but <laughs> the, sometimes you get jaded because everybody around you says COVID nineteen and they don't talk about COVID. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Sorry, I chemistry. No, no, thank you. Because it's I, like, I'm as so a professional, I should have it right. So, so that's uh, I. I I caught, I picked up on that and me was like, oh yeah. That's <laughs> what so happens hey, when you have a doctor it. in the house. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, um, so in your, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take this personal now. So in your world, you know, with you and your husband, right. Um, you, um, I, I'm assuming that you live by the standards that you profess that you learn from your research. Yeah. I really, really, I really try. And in most cases we do. So, uh, so my husband does have a medical condition, so he does need to use bleach uh, a little bit more often, uh, but we crack open the windows uh, in the bathroom and turn on the, uh, turn on the fans. We have some pretty good fans that we got into our bathroom and they, they pull the air out pretty quick. So we do our best um, from that perspective, but I don't use harsh cleaners anywhere else in the house. Um, and uh, yeah, past that, we really try to, to live by what we say. So I, I, I use my kitchen hood and it exhausts outdoors and we use the good filters in our HVAC system. Um, I had to go in, we, we, bought, uh, we bought a new house a few months ago. And so the first thing I did was go into the, was go into the HVAC and you know, pull out these piddly little tiny filters. And I was went- Was the ones you can see through, do you have fiberglass ones? Yeah, you pretty much. It, there pretty should much. be a rule that if you can look through the filter, it's probably not worth like, a damn. I think I, I think I could put my hand on the other side and, yeah, and count how many figures I had up. And I was like, this is- no, that's not, not that's useful. Not and no. so I, I just, I just took that and all the other ones that they'd left for us, and I tossed them in the bin, and uh, I went and got some the highest rated ones that I could for the rather aging HVAC that we have. But you know, good high MRF filters, and and that's so. So that was one of the first things I did, and uh, and then we just look at. I look at all the products we bring into the house. I really watch. You know, I question what what chemicals do I need to bring into my house. Um, for anything and can I use and then I always choose the most the least toxic uh, version that I can we do fragrance free on everything uh, and and just try and try and minimize try to minimize any exposure that we have crack open the windows as much as possible but you know we had we had wildfires here in Colorado yeah that's out of your ago. control a little bit what's happening on the exterior yeah, so so there so your makeup I mean, air is not really good air yeah no so so then we uh we did a lot of recirculating air and uh, had all the windows closed. And because uh, if you cracked open the window, the whole house smelled like a campfire. It was ridiculous. And uh, and so then we uh, we got these little portable air purifiers to just have a HEPA. No, no UV light, no, no ionizers, nothing else. Just a HEPA filter. You really don't want a lightning storm in your house? No, no. <laughs> Terrible idea. Absolutely not. Just a half a filter. So we have those every room in the house that we that we use. It's great. 
So I live by that too. Um, and I don't even do a plug for the for the product. I don't sell it, but I, I, uh, IQ Air uh, units, uh, the Health Pro Pluses, which are like kind of pricey. You know, thousand dollar air cleaners, and um, I have a couple in my house, and I've had the, I've had one in my bedroom for fifteen years running and the only time it's been turned off is to switch some filters but the reality is like i I will say i'm doing a testimonial on unsolicited because the thing i've run it for 15 years and it hasn't blown up how many products can you run for 15 years where the motors still work and uh and i I do take a laser you know so i am jaded to that extent i'll run in with a handheld laser counter and the particle counts in my house are pretty damn low considering we're not really the best housekeepers and i got dogs running around yeah you know, I so I haven't gone and brought my my uh, particle counters into my house yet. Uh, but I can I mean, we are we know that those air, we got the cheaper ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but cheaper, still, HEPA, HEPA forms, still, if they're, they're really HEPA, HEPA, they're going to make a difference. True HEPAs. And uh, it makes such a difference that in the bedroom, what it, <laughs> my husband commented that I just stopped snoring. And I think it's because ever since we started running them, and I think it's because all the allergens just stopped being in the air that were getting me, getting me congested. And so, and you can see and you can smell that it improved things. And I mean, the, the difference when we had the wildfire smoke in the area from the day, there was one day where, um, I, I can't remember what happened, but we didn't have them running. And that day, you know, you turn them on and you could just start to smell and see that difference almost, almost instantaneously. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's, uh, most, and you mentioned something, you're like existing air handlers that are in, you know, residential. And we've been talking residential today because that's really what the topic is, is Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to get into the commercial discussions, but mo- most residential equipment doesn't have the, you know, they don't have the capacity with the mechanical systems to put, you can't put HEPA filters in. I mean, you can have HEPA yeah. bypass filters where they take a little air and, you know, side chain it. Uh, but how effective is that really? I mean, it's effective to some extent, but it's not. I think you do better with portable units in the space than a side chain on the main. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think you can, but you can put in, you can look up how good your, your air, like what's the best filter your air handling system can, your, your air system can handle. That's what you choose. And then, and then add with HEPA filters. And, you know, I mean, in terms of the pandemic, that's one of the best things you can do to minimize transmission, right? Is Absolutely. we want to move as much air because the, the, the virus is going into these aerosol particles, same types of particles that we're cooking. And this and, is a, re- this is a revelation though, right? Because, you know, initially yeah. everybody's said it wasn't airborne you know and and we believe now i mean at least many cognizant authorities believe it's also airborne maybe that's not yeah. the primary vector we right because it's still I, I think i think you can start one can argue uh about what the primary vector is but what we all know is that a really important transmission vector is is aerosols and then the other one is droplets and i i think the difference between them is 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 a semantics like it's vocabulary mm-hmm. what it really is is small particles coming out of your mouth uh and your nose when you exhale and and those particles are carrying these SARS-CoV-2 viruses so dealing with them we just deal with them exactly the same way that we want to deal with 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 your cooking aerosols and your burnt mm-hmm. toast. I mean, the first thing you want to do is not burn your toast, right? So the first thing you do with someone with COVID is try to try to stop that source. So that's to wear a mask if you think someone might possibly have COVID, symptomatic or not. And that, so stop the source. And then if you have a source, filters, they're, they're, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Move air through, try to ventilate. And, and, then those, and then those portable air filters that you get for, wildfire smoke or just good indoor air quality they're they're gonna work well 
I mean, there's there's certainly I mean, there's there's a distinct difference, right, between uh, what you're you're going to achieve with those droplets, because those droplets do fall out of the air fairly quick. Um, so, you know, masks, masks are fairly effective. So I'm, I'm going to have to bring up this graphic. Uh, yeah. So, you know, is it useful <laughs> to wear a mask? I stole this from the Internet. You know, so it's got to be it's got to be true. But right. You know, if you walk around outside nude and somebody pees on you, you get wet. If you wear pants and they still pee on you, you're partially protected. The guy peeing also wears pants. He pees in his pants and you don't get wet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there it it's, is. It's, it's, that's the absolutely there's your, you know, your, your, your I, I, sometimes you have to make it simple. Your, you have to make it simple sometimes. Uh huh. Absolutely. <laughs> no, totally. That's, you know, we, that's what we were, it is, right? It's, it's source control, right? You we were just making wanna... that argument, though, back in March when you did the first show with us, you know, right out of the yeah. blocks, Joe and uh, Corbett, too. You know, we were all saying, people were saying, oh, the masks don't work because CDC had some conflicting information out because, again, yeah. there, was the, there, was this, there was this juxtaposition of the terminology masks and respirators. And they were saying masks yeah. aren't effective like respirators for protecting the individual, which is absolutely true. You know, yeah. they don't and protect think, the individual, I mean, I think, you know. I but. think the other piece that was happening right around then too is that we started having this huge shortage on PPE, right? On personal protective equipment. So there was this huge worry that individuals were gonna run around and buy up all the surgical masks. And then there already weren't enough for hospitals. Right. But I think now one thing that we're really realizing is that a well-fit homemade mask is actually, is, is again, that source control. It's just capping off what, what would otherwise be a source for someone else. And now we're beginning to, you know, the cities are also again showing that they're pretty good for stopping other particles from, from you breathing them. Well, in. the larger so, particles, certainly. And, and, and it, it, again, it's not, are they absolute? No, but they're, yeah. it, it's like you're, you're reducing the likelihood and, and the level of exposure, right? Because Absolutely. these viral particles, uh, you know, from everything that I've read, uh, the viral particles, it's a dose response too. Exactly. It's so the more much, of it you get, the worse it is. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that we're seeing these nurses and doctors who work in hospitals, are, a lot of them are getting really, really sick because they're exposed to much higher doses. Where, whereas we're looking at um, you know, normal people just walking around, you are exposed to lower doses. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna get sick though. I mean, it's everyone has their own response, but masks just reduce that dose hugely. And that's, I mean, that's incredibly important. And they reduce them for you breathing them in, but they also reduce them from your, your exhale breath to everyone else. So I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just, these are the times we live in. Well, here's a science question for you too, because one of the, one of the anti-mask arguments that, that I've seen repeatedly on the internet is, oh, the elevated levels of carbon dioxide under your mask. Yeah. So, so this is something that people don't understand. So let me, let me explain this really I, I need simply. you to refer. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So CO2 is a gas. So really, really small molecule, right? So it, it weaves in and out of anything. It, it, it can get through the most complicated maze and mass that you create. Um, and, and so, so CO2, uh, any mask you make, if you can, if you can remotely, if you could push air through that, through that mask, the CO2 is going to get out. So CO2 is not going to accumulate inside a mask. Uh, particles, the ones that carry SARS-CoV-2, they are much, much larger. So I'm just trying to think about the right, the right way to put the numbers. So, so a, um, so a car carbon dioxide is uh, on the order of a few angstroms. So it's 10 to the minus 10 meters in size. So they're really tiny. The particles that we're talking about carrying SARS-CoV-2, they're like one to 10 microns. So it's 
10 to the minus six, 10 to the minus five meters. So we're talking four to five orders of magnitude, bigger particles than CO2. So those big particles, they just, they, they're too chubby. They can't, they're not going to get through the filters. Okay. They're, they're attracted to the fabric. So they're like, you know, there's, there's some electrostatics, really cool physics and chemistry, but those, mm -hmm. those particles are just going to collide with the filter. The CO2, the CO2 just doesn't care. Um, it's, you know, it just doesn't care about that mask. And so it's just going to make it through any fabric, any filter you put. So CO2 is never going to build up to these, these supposedly dangerous levels inside a mask. It no, it's going to be, it's going happen. to be 20,000 parts per million in there. And, and the OSHA, OSHA, you know, concern level is 5,000. It's like, yes, but if you take a CO2 meter and stick it by your mouth, you get the same reading without it's the mask. Fine. It's like, it's coming out it's, of your lungs. It's coming out of your lungs. Just. <laughs> just just it's fine and yeah i i just find i find it it's really unfortunate that people have just um come up with this idea and it's just not grounded in 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 scientific fact and so the yeah co2 is it's like a it's like a what a, it's like the honey badger right just doesn't care just gonna go go in and out of a mask it's doesn't matter what well, you. It was funny it. too. I, so I had a friend, uh, you know, who's uh, not in science, uh, you know, making the comment that wearing wearing her mask, um, you know, she could smell odors with it. So how effective can it be? And I'm like, gases. It, it's like apples and oranges. <laughs> the gaseous. It's it's like it doesn't do anything. You know, it's like. Yeah. And honestly, if I put my P100 mask on with a HEPA filtration, I can smell the odors just, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and like, you but I'm stopping and the particles. Actually, I'm gonna say that's a really good thing. If you can cut open a lemon and you can smell that lemon scent through your mask, then that means air is just moving in and out. That's great. And if you can smell that, that means that CO2 that's getting out of your mask. It's just the particles are a whole different ball game. They just, yeah. they work differently from the gases. So. Which, which brings us to like, uh, you know, uh, uh, an area that we probably should at least cursorily cover since you're a research scientist uh, is uh, science denial. Doesn't it drive you crazy? Yeah. Yeah, and I know you have to, you know, yeah. you represent a university, so you only go so far. Uh, but, but I mean, it really drives me crazy oh, no. too, because I view I, myself I as go... a scientist, as a field scientist that does diagnostics work. And, yeah, and I, I, can't I can't stand I... the fact you can't, you know, if you could demonstrably show me some facts, I'll listen to you. But if just, you know, spouting nonsense or denying. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it, what bothers me the most is just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. Right. I, I know I don't want there to be a pandemic either. I would like to be able to go and see my friends and fly and 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 right. and go spend Thanksgiving with my family. I would love to. Um, but just because I don't want there to be a pandemic doesn't mean that there isn't a pandemic. And I I think that's just been um, I think what's been the most frustrating is that we've we've spent uh, a lot of time trying to figure out the science behind things like the COVID pandemic, uh, behind climate change. Uh, you know, there's a lot of science and a lot of information out there. And, and trust me, I am not paid very much money for the work that I do. I can make a lot more money doing something differently. No one's making money on science. Um, mm -hmm. But we've learned just so much about this. And, uh, and, and people just don't, they just don't want to believe it. But it's worse than not wanting to believe the science. They actively, I think there's now this movement to actively be anti-science. And that disturbs me because where's, mm -hmm. where's the line on that? You know, if you, uh, I, I mean, if you start being 
anti-science, then what are we gonna talk about in terms of medical treatments? That's, that's all science. And, and then if you, if you believe, if you don't wanna, you know, if you don't wanna believe in masks, then are you gonna not believe in chemotherapy? Or, or, or vaccines. Um, yeah, well, Neil deGrasse Tyson hit that really well. Just because you don't believe in science doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It doesn't, happen. It doesn't go away. You know, it's like you don't believe in gravity, but when you step off that cliff, you fall. You're you still going to fall. I know, I know. And there's just these... These reality is gonna is gonna come and hit you, and uh, and that's just so. I mean, and and the thing that's so unfortunate is that there's so much beautiful and wonderful things that happen because of science. You know, the colors change in the fall. That's 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 chemical reactions occurring in a leaf. That's beautiful, and then there's useful stuff. I mean, you want. You want science to be able to work because well, you want to be able to drive a car and you want to be able to science you know, evolves too. That's uh, the other thing. Science is not a static thing. Knowledge is yeah. not static, right? You know, it's like, well, you know, you said this and now, you know, and now they're saying this. It's like, yeah, it's called it's called actually progressing and getting new information and then readjusting. It's it, things always yeah. adjust because it's and, called learning. <laughs> And I think that's, and you know, I think the COVID pandemic has been a great example of that because initially people thought, like scientists thought that this was going to be transferred by, by surface, on surfaces, right, through fomite. So then we had this, initially everything was about cleaning surfaces. And, and then we learned from the evidence showed us that it's airborne. And so then you change the recommendation. And I mean, I think the fact that people are like, oh, well, people have changed their mind. I'm like, that's because we got new information and we changed our perspective. Data, and I mean, data. Ev everyone has that. And I mean, if we all had the same, if we all had one viewpoint, I, I mean, goodness, at least if I, if I didn't change my mind about things, then my diet would be stuck as a five-year-old's and be pretty uninteresting. And those uh, chicken fingers were mighty good, weren't they? I know, I know, <laughs> they were delicious. But <laughs> and such things as avocados and mushrooms were terrible. So I, you know, I think things change, but the we have to move with the evidence. And that's, yeah. I mean, scientists are, I mean, that's the glorious part of being a scientist is that you get new information and you change your change your perspective about it. And that's, that's useful. But we, you know, to, to, to hone in on something that you just mentioned on the COVID thing, you know, the original thought, right, were the fomites and that the, the high touch surfaces and all that. And what alarms me is still clients that I speak with, you know, on the consulting side and in school districts are still really concerned about surface cleaning and I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but it's like, you understand that if you clean the desks with a strong sanitizer and, you know, and little Johnny comes in with, you know, and starts spewing the virus particles out of his lungs over to Susie next to it, the cleanliness of the desktop isn't really the issue here. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. And I, you know, we've been using the term hygiene theater uh, a lot. Clearly, it's going in I and mean, spraying the whole building and doing all that stuff. It's like, and I'm, I've been, I'm, I'm in remediation. So I actually took exception to that right out of the blocks. And I hear all these companies making all this money. I go, that's nonsense. It's like it's going in and sanitizing buildings. As soon as you put the, the occupants are the transporter. They bring, they bring the virus I, in. You know, I had this interesting conversation with a company that uh, was, 
had really developed after anfra anfrax scares mm -hmm. um and was was contracted by the government to clean up various buildings after there had been anfrax mm -hmm. exposure and so they were like well we can just treat SARS-CoV-2 the same way and i was like no because <laughs> with anfrax you know someone sent a letter and so there's one source at one time whereas with SARS-CoV-2 it's every single person who walks in is actively breathing continuously breathing out right. this 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 uh, contaminated aerosol, right? And so it's you would have to permanently spray these these rooms and buildings, and that's dangerous. And I I mean I just find that I mean in dentist office they're now spraying with with hypochlorous acid, which is bleach, and that's right. a terrible idea. And it's not going to protect anybody. Well, it's a terrible idea for the occupants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's really not at all. Well, I mean, maybe, but maybe we could use like a, like a car wash mindset where you come through and they spray you as you come through. Or But that perhaps, only works for that one moment. No, no, no perhaps we work. could inject it. Perhaps we could inject oh. it. Well, you know, that would really solve the problem. I feel like if we could. I've gone as far as I should go now. Yeah, I think, I've crossed I think the line. We should, I think we should. <laughs> this is, now. yeah, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere that's going to help uh, half our audience. Uh, but uh, re regardless, um, yeah, this, it, it's fascinating. It, 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 the fact that, you know, just back to the whole science to, to wrap up the science discussion, right? Is that you guys did some really amazing stuff at Home Chem. And, um, and there's a lot of information to be gleaned from that about yeah. our indoor environments. And we just yeah. scraped on it. I mean, in our little discussion yeah. here, you, you guys did so much more. So we, we, we do have to have uh, future shows with you back on to discuss other aspects other than me just ranting politically. I, um, absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a little bit more. But in the meantime, Thanksgiving next week, Right. You know, just... Yeah. Well, give, give us some give us some steps to make make Thanksgiving better for indoor air quality. Let's you know, and, uh, and you can throw SARS stuff in there, too. You if know, you want, the, the raw food movement, uh, boiling your turkey. These would all be great steps for your indoor air quality. Um, but in all seriousness, I would <laughs> ventilate. Uh, so so crack open windows uh, if you're cooking always good. And think about cross breezes. Think about, think about moving air out of your kitchen and preferably outside and bringing nice, clean, fresh air into the house. That's, that's one. But, you know, I think other things you can think about are, uh, you know, how much, how long are you cooking for? And if you can, instead of cooking over the course of eight hours, you can do it over four hours. That's just less time to be exposed to particles and gases that are being emitted that that's one thing you can really think about about cleaning and i would definitely i mean we have reasons the chemistry shows that if you clean immediately after you cook those two um you know the chemical products from the cleaners and then the emissions from your cooking they react and they form little tiny particles so i would say just relax after thanksgiving don't jump up and try to clean your house wait a day and let the air clear out. That's um, that's something that um, I, I I definitely it, have taken. It generally out of the takes home me a day to sober up to clean the house anyway. So it's like that's that's uh, well, that's there you easy. Go. I can follow. I've that. given you an excuse. <laughs> I've given you an excuse. I'm gonna say Dr. Delphine Farmer recommended that we don't clean the kitchen, honey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never said never. I, just I, I didn't say never. I, today. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, but I, I think those are, those are some things, but I think this year is a special year. So, um, you know, try, try not to interact with too many other people. And, and if you have to try and try and do it outdoors and in a well-ventilated space, that's, that's a big one. 
That, that's a tough one for us in, in the cold weather environments, know. Uh, you know, certainly you know, know. outdoors. I mean, I, I guess you could always have that Thanksgiving. Well, I can't even Thanksgiving. You, you, know, all, you know, but you can you can crank up the temperature, the heat in your house and you can open your windows and set go. a fan going. Right? And that's it's going to it's going to be the best thing you can do. But um, other than just trying to make it a smaller Thanksgiving stay home and uh, reduce your emissions from cooking uh, and then you'll breathe a whole lot better. So. DoorDash. There you go. <laughs> I am, uh, yeah, <laughs> growing a fan of takeaway. <laughs> That's so crazy too. That's, you know, I could get off on another change here is how, how many times we order food now that I never did in the past. You know, know, I I like it, but I've been thinking a lot about the trash that it generates uh, with all of the with all of the portable temporary food containers. But it's it's, you know, we it's it's an interesting year. We're all we're all taking learning, learning to deal with it the best we can. That, that's a good way to put it. Um, so we're we're at time here now. So I wanted, wanted to also remind you guys, uh, you know, thanks again for uh, um, watching us on the Healthy Indoors show. Um, Healthy Indoors uh, show is a production of Healthy Indoors magazine. Um, we are a monthly free digital online publication. Um, we also uh, have a website, healthyindoors.com. That's where pretty much all of our repository of wonderful information um, and pithy commentary resides. Uh, healthyindoors.com. You can get a free subscription to the magazine. Um, you can see all of our back issues. You can see articles, videos, uh, uh, various forms of reference. And uh, yeah, it's a good place to go. Uh, we're going to uh, end the season uh, on this one. And uh, we'll be back after the first of the year uh, with season five for the Healthy Indoors show. Um, so that's, uh, it's been, you know, fun ride. Uh, I really, you know, want you all to really be conscious, stay safe over this holiday season. Uh, just like Delphine mentioned, it, it's it's going to be important. Take this seriously. Do what you can to minimize your uh, risk and the risk to your loved ones and friends. Um, make sure that you know wear masks uh, when you're in social contact. Distance. Limit your exposures. Da 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 da. You hear it so many times. I know you're tired of hearing it, but you know it's important. It really is. Um, yeah. I, and, and I want you all to stay safe and get through this holiday season and see you guys on the other side of this. So uh, with that, i uh, really like to thank our special guest, Dr. Delphine Farmer. Uh, great seeing you. Um, I will see you at Colorado State University this time. Oh my goodness. That was awful. <laughs> that, was just, that was just going unscripted is dangerous. <laughs> so with that, <laughs> with that, we, we bid you adieu. Have a great holiday season and uh, we'll see you soon on the Healthy Indoor Show. Thank you. <laughs>